You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by the Foundry Community blog. The Foundry Community is a place for growth, love, formation, and fellowship. With featured writers like Jaron Rowell, Tara Beth Leach, Michael Palmer, Robbie Kanzler, Eric Paul, and Tim Gaines, the community provides a platform for discussion in areas of ministry and life where conversation, support, and insight can happen. Join the conversation over at thefoundrycommunity.com. This author's story features Reverend Gwen Jackson, passionate Jesus follower and author of Unforced Rhythms, Why Daily Devotions Aren't for All of Us. You can find her over at unforcedrhythmsbook.com. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. here with my guest, Reverend Gwen Jackson. Gwen is the author of Unforced Rhythms, Why Daily Devotions Aren't for All of Us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be on. Oh, it's so awesome to have you. I'm super excited about this book. I'm really excited for the opportunity to talk to you about it. Um, The first question we kind of ask everybody is, even though you're not Nazarene, how did you end up in the Wesleyan Church? That's a good question. Let's go back to the beginning of my time. Um grew up in Pennsylvania Dutch country near Hershey and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And it was there that my parents took me to Cockenderfer's Evangelical United Brethren Church. And it was in that church that I came to know Christ at the age of 10. Mm. Um, Real great experience for me as a child. um, My dad went with me to the altar, just a really great experience to walk through that with my dad. I always had a real great interest in spiritual things. Uh, When I hit junior high age, uh, we lived on a farm and two miles up the road was a little village town called Ono, Pennsylvania. And um, Ono United Methodist Church was there and my parents decided once we hit youth group age, uh, let's go to a church closer to home. And that's where all the kids from my high school were at, so it made sense. I really grew and thrived in that church. Uh, It was the EUBs, Evangelical United Brethren, Mm -hmm. and the Methodists merged in, I think, 1966. And uh, so I grew up in what then was the merger in my teen years in the United Methodist Church. Uh, When I was 19, I went on a mission trip with Teen Missions, out of Merritt Island, Florida. My friend and I were kind of disillusioned with jobs. Um, I hadn't gone to college at this point, and we went to Manicare, Brazil, to build a floating airplane hangar on the branch of the Amazon River oh, wow. for the Wycliffe Missionaries pontoon plane. And it was there one day when I was sitting out under a big tree in the clear jungle area that I was having time with God. And I just sensed he said, Gwen, I have more for your life. Mm. I had just come across that verse where it said, you know, to leave mother and father and sons and daughters for my name's sake, you know. And uh, I was, like, really convicted by that. Growing up on the farm, you know, having – I just never imagined me going much further. Mm. 
And uh, I never saw myself as college material. I had some really um, hard three grade school years where teachers really destroyed my self-esteem, made me feel very inadequate. And so I never saw myself ever going to college. But when the Lord said that to me out there in the jungle, that I had more for your life, I really sensed that it meant he wanted me to go on for further my education, which was a huge, huge faith step for me because of my grade school experiences. Came from a family that nobody ever went to college. I'm the only one in my family that did go to college. And so I didn't even know where to begin when I got back home from the mission trip. Campus Life had a college guide at that time. I don't know if they still do that. I sent to 25 colleges just to get their catalogs and start searching. And um, that narrowed it down to four schools. So I applied to two Mennonite schools, uh, Seattle Pacific and Marion College, which is now Indiana Wesleyan. Marion College was the first college I heard from that I was accepted. And so, of course, not even thinking I might even get into college, I took that. And mom and dad that fall, the summer, the fall after the mission trip, um, loaded up the pickup truck, drove me to Marion, Indiana, dropped me off and drove back home. Um, That was the first encounter with the Wesleyan Church. So... I was, um, what's a Wesleyan? (laughs) And so I soon found out, you know, what a Wesleyan was and um, found out that it was, you know, very similar doctrine to the Methodist Church, Mm -hmm. uh, though we had broke off in the 1800s over the issue of slavery. And I liked what I saw. And then I met a young man my freshman year who was studying to be a minister in the Wesleyan Church. He, He himself had came to know Christ at the age of 15, coming from a non-Christian home. And so that began the Wesleyan journey, really, for both of us. So that's how I got into the Wesleyan church. Wow, that's an amazing story. Mm, Thanks. Um, Kind of continue the story from there. Where did you guys go after college? After college, we ended up in Kalamazoo, Michigan at a Wesleyan church where Dennis was an associate pastor for two years. Then we both were sensing God was leading us possibly into church planting. We ended up in Houston, Texas and church planted for five years. We call those our character building years because they were not easy. It was before church planting really was a, you know, a thing you would hear a lot about. Yeah, we hit the ground running and lived off of our, what we double tithed so we could actually have some money to work with in the church. And uh, yeah, we did five years down there. Yeah, they weren't easy years. We went with two young children, came back with four and back to Michigan with four. And um, so there was a lot going on in our lives. Yeah. I think I did about every ministry in the church that you can think of to just keep things going. And so, yeah, we ended up in Holland, Michigan at a larger Wesleyan church there. Uh, We always kind of shook our heads. How did we even get to this place? Um, But it was a great time there. We, great place to raise our kids. Um, I, Dennis had a really large 
300 probably Sunday school class in attendance. And um, there were times when I taught, you know, most of my time is just finding my place in the church. I do women's Bible studies and participate in different things um, as a pastor's wife. Uh, yeah, I'm raising four kids. Took a lot of my time, too. Yeah. Uh, but always had a heart for Christian ministries. I can remember growing up in that Ono United Methodist Church there in Pennsylvania and just sensing just a desire to follow Christ. Mm. When I was um, going into my senior year in high school, I went to Campus Crusade, had this big thing called Explo 72 mm. back in 1972 in Dallas, Texas, and took a bus thousands of high school students and college kids, you know, we had our lives changed out there and mm. just good teaching. That was when this four spiritual wall, wall, yeah, four spiritual walls. They're probably walls now. <laughs> four spiritual laws um, was in. And so we went door to door, you know, sharing that. And uh, it was there where I, you know, just said, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. I don't know what that means, but I do want to somehow serve you full time. Yeah. Back in that day in the 70s, there was kind of this full-time Christian service, like commit yourself to full-time Christian service. And mm. so I'm saying all that to just say that it's always been on my heart, this desire to serve Christ in some specific way. Mm -hmm. So when I met Dennis and knew he was going into ministry you know, I didn't have a great high belief in myself because of these grade school teachers. And so Dennis just get, has given me this gift of high belief of just mm. believing in myself yeah. more than him believing in me more than I did in myself. Yeah. And that's been a real gift in our marriage. Um, so I found my places of, you know, to teach. I enjoy teaching. And Dennis has given me over the years before I even was an ordained minister opportunities to be in the pulpit. I loved preparing and preaching, um, just teaching anywhere from third grade children's church to adult Sunday school classes. That's awesome. uh, so one year for a year and a half, a friend and I memorized the book of Ephesians. Oh, wow. I memorized it from the NIV. She memorized it from the, at that time, the NLT new living translation was kind of the new thing out. So every two weeks we'd connect, we'd memorize three verses a week, and then get together every two weeks, share our six new verses, but start at the beginning of the book and up to that point. Mm. So I, I taught a whole Sunday school class after that on Ephesians, because I just had really dug deep into it yeah. and loved it. So, um, so in all the places we ministered, I found that place where I really sensed was my place as a gift and strength and in, in investing in others and discipling. From Holland Central, we were there nine years. We did a year, almost a year-long mission trip with our kids. We always wanted to do something with missions with our family and thought we'd do a two-week mission trip, but we ended up going for 10 months. And wow. the bulk of that time was uh, in Australia, serving in different the different um States in Australia doing leadership development, um, speaking and encouraging around to our Wesleyan churches there. Wow. Then on the way back home, we kind of went around the world and stopped in India with the India Gospel League and served there and went to Russia, Germany, the Ukraine, and then back home with our kids. So wow. it was a great year. It was a great year. Um, and something we just never imagined we'd do, but we did. So 
came home and back to Holland, Michigan. And then uh, Dennis had already resigned from Holland Central before we did that trip. And so um, we were kind of considering some kind of a mission organization at that time or church planning again or being in an established church. And it just seemed to be uh, the door open for the established church. And we went to Spring Lake, Michigan, where Dennis was lead pastor for 11 years. Um, so, and there again, I, I found my places of ministry and had opportunity to preach and teach. And that's where I would have done the Ephesians memorization as well. So one time, we're empty nesters now in Spring Lake. The kids, you know, are all off, either married or in college. And we were sitting at the table one night drinking tea. I think that's the night we said, I don't, Dennis said, I don't like tea. I go, I don't like it either. Why are, why do we drink tea on a cold winter night? So anyway, it was, we were sitting there and almost simultaneously we said to each other, it's time for us to leave. Mm. And we sensed that God had something for us beyond the local church. We kind of always saw ourselves retiring in the local church. Um, but there was a sense that he had something for us beyond that. Mm. And so we just were being open to what God had for us. Um, we stayed in our West Michigan district there for another year, and Dennis worked in our district giving leadership development, encouragement, equipping to our young church planters there. Mm. And then um, after that year was up, Global Partners, our the mission arm of the Wesleyan Church gave us a call, and they were looking for someone to go to Europe to be the area director in Europe. Oh, wow. And so we decided to accept that call, went to uh, Budapest, Hungary, where I know you, you have some Nazarene missionaries there. Yes, yes. And um, we were there for three years, uh, just coming alongside our, at that time, 11 fields in Europe, mostly in Southeast Europe. So Budapest was our base. Uh, we would have loved to have stayed there. We loved living there. We loved being in Europe. But when the General Conference of the Wesleyan Church happens every four years, uh, it was coming up, and uh, they asked Dennis if he would allow his name to run for the position of Executive Director of Global Partners since the former um, Executive Director was retiring. And so we prayed about it and sensed that God wanted us to pursue that, at least let his name run. Mm. And he was elected uh, to that position, which meant a move back from Budapest to Indianapolis, where we now live, because our headquarters and offices are here. Wow. So we've been in that position for five years. Mm-hmm. Tell me what, what that's like. What are, what are you doing these days? Well, we travel a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get to travel with Dennis uh, when it makes sense for me to go. Uh, Some trips, you know, don't make sense for me to be there depending on what's happening. Uh, So I just returned with him from Malawi and Mozambique a couple weeks ago. Uh, We'll head out to Egypt uh, mid-November for the 500th anniversary of the Protestant church with the Reformation coming up with Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so I enjoy doing that. Uh, I have places where I can minister one-on-one. This last time, I had an opportunity to lead a young Malawi man to the Lord who was stay- working at the front desk at our place of lodging the first night. So wow. 
that was pretty cool. And I got to connect him with Philip, one of our leaders there, who's going to disciple him. You know, as opportunity to rise, I can do teaching and preaching and that sort of thing. Uh, and with our own missionaries uh, around the world, I love to do one-on-one mentoring and processing life. So there's a few that I call on a regular basis once a month and come alongside of them to encourage and support. So, yeah, I find my place um, a ministry just in, yeah, those different ways that arise, opportunities that arise. Oh, I love that. Um, so kind of tell me about, about the book. The book is a journey for you, I know. Kind of tell me how you got started with this topic and um, how you ended up wanting to write write the book about it. I've always enjoyed writing, and there was always that dream in me to maybe someday I'll write a book, but I was like, I don't know what I'll write a book on, you know. And I thought maybe it'd be on prayer because prayer has been a real significant part of my faith. And uh, it is kind of about prayer, but not the direction I thought that I would write about. I probably started in my 20s, so I accepted Christ at 10, was growing in my faith. But probably in my 20s, I started feeling like, I don't know, this daily devotion thing is really hard for me. Like, I just uh, felt like I failed all the time. And so just sort of started feeling that spiritual angst, I call it. And probably in my 30s, you know, I'm kind of searching this whole thing out. Like, did Jesus tell us we have to do daily devotions? Like, Mm. searching the scriptures and not finding a place that really aligned with that greatly I mean yeah we're supposed to pray and be in the word and but this daily thing so for a long time yeah I just really was discouraged about that yeah and so it's this growing thing like I really felt desperate to figure it out because I wanted I felt like I had this close relationship with Christ could sense his presence you know but trying to I'm not a morning person either. So trying to get up in the morning when everybody says that's the time you should do it. And, you know, I'd either find myself falling asleep or not getting much out of it. And, um, yeah, so it was very frustrating. Hmm. I even, those years in Holland, Michigan, I was like, kind of did this verbal survey, you know, kept mental notes and like would ask people like, when do you, do you have daily devotions? When do you do it? And how's that work for you? I'm just trying to figure this out. Mm. And to me, it was a mark of a mature Christian that you had your daily devotions. Oh, probably in my forties and fifties, I continued on with the struggle. I remember one day I was cleaning our bedroom and I had a bookshelf in there and I've been writing in journals most of my life, but not every day, but you know, I had this whole bookshelf of journals and I thought, oh, turn off the vacuum sweeper. I'm going to sit here and just reminisce a little bit. I pulled out a journal from 10 years before that date, just like wonder what was happening in my life 10 years ago. And I started to realize there was a theme to every journal entry. Like I'd start out, oh, it's been, it's been this long since I spent time with God. Like maybe it was two weeks ago I'd written in the journal, you know, or a week ago. And, and I just completely start feeling guilty because it was kind of this, when I journaled, it was usually the time I set aside with God at some point in my day. And 
just like, oh, this is so hard. God, forgive me. Lots of self-condemnation and, mm -hmm. and defeat through and threaded through those journal entries. Yeah. I go, wow, this has just really been a bondage point for me. And so this we're working at Spring Lake Church and one day Dennis calls me to just do his usual check-in and he said, Hey honey, uh, Dave Jury, a guy that's been on our was on our staff at Spring Lake for five years with us. He said, mm -hmm. Dave wrote this article about life rhythm and he just threw it on my desk and said, tell me what you think of this. And it was just two pages. And um, Dennis, I read it. Honey, I think you're really going to like what he wrote. Mm. And so he brought the article home. It's just on a regular white paper, you know, yeah. copied off. And that two-page article changed my life. Oh, wow. I um, found out that... It wasn't, my spiritual angst wasn't because I didn't love Christ, didn't want, to, it wasn't because I wasn't wanting this intimate relationship with Christ. It wasn't that I didn't want to spend time as word or pray. The angst was simply that I'm not a daily person. Mm. And it just was like liberating for me to go, ah, this is it. This is, has been my struggle. Mm. And as I read through the three different life rhythms that he just wrote a paragraph or two about, it was very obvious that I'm a seasonal person. Mm. So there's out of the three life rhythms, there's daily, weekly, monthly, and then seasonal, yearly. And then it was like, no wonder I have been struggling with this. Yeah. So I started teaching it through Global Partner Venues, and um, it became very obvious that there were a lot of other people that were going, me too, mm -hmm. you know, me too. Yeah. Everybody was coming out of the woodwork. And we're thankful that somebody was finally admitting, like, I don't do daily devotions, you know. And so that's how the book came about. Uh, Dave said to me, hey, Gwen, this has become your thing I give you full permission to write a book on it if you want to. Oh, wow. And it was just something, a message that was so freeing for me that I was like, yeah, the rest of the believing world needs to hear this. Yeah. And so that drove me to write the book. Like, this isn't something I can keep to myself. Well, and that's how um, I originally found out about it uh, five or six years ago. I went to a workshop in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And you were teaching that workshop and you kind of explained these three different types of people and their kind of paradigms for relationship with God. And it was a huge light bulb moment in my life to be able to say, maybe I need to release myself of this guilt and live into the type of devotional life, the relationship with God that I have, rather than lamenting the relationship with God that I don't have. Um, yes, I, I experimented more in my devotional life and went on silent retreats for the first time and experimented this and um, tried different books in different times of day. It was hugely helpful for me in my relationship with God to be able to say, oh, maybe I don't have to wake up early and be a morning person and spend this 20 minutes that feels so empty to me. Maybe I can find larger chunks of time every week and, mm -hmm. and every month. And, um, you know, John Wesley had a tradition of 
retreating and kind of finding larger spaces too, even though he seemed like a very much daily person. Um, this topic has helped so many people um, release some guilt and kind of reframe their spiritual life. So kind of in a nutshell, could you explain um, the theory and kind of the three different personality types? Yes. Life rhythm is, when you think of musical terms, rhythm, it's a strong, regular, repeated pattern in sound or music. Mm -hmm. So I say life rhythm is the strong, repeated, regular pattern in how we do life. Mm. It's kind of like the circadian rhythm, which is our body clock. Like, I'm not a morning person. The only time I'm a morning person is when I'm on jet lag. And jet lag, you know, you wake up in the morning and go, you're wide awake because of the time differences. And I go, wow, this must be what a morning person feels like, <laughs> like wide awake, ready to start your day. But it yeah. doesn't take long, you know, depending on how many hours difference I'm catching up with, I go right back into that body clock where I'm more of a night owl than a morning person. Same is true with our life rhythm. We are in a rhythm that we we kind of perceive life that way. We look at life that way. Um, so it's that strong, regular, repeated pattern in how we do life. Mm. So the first category is daily life rhythm. Daily people are just like go with the sunrise to the sunset. They are anchored into the routine of life. They love routine. They love familiarity. Spontaneity is not their friend. This is my mom, and I use her. I write a chapter on each rhythm. Yeah. My mom is 86 years old and has been living a daily life for as long as I remember. Oh, wow. She has her morning devotions. She has an eating devotional by her bedside that she reads every night. I can remember when Dad was making nightly rounds on the farm. Mom would be in her bed sitting up against her pillow reading her evening devotions. And I sometimes would crawl in with her while, you know, while she was doing that, just kind of fun. But um, mom still does that at 86 years old. She lays her Bible and her journal by her breakfast setting every night before she goes to bed. So when she wakes up in the morning, it's all ready for her to start her day. Wow. And um, she has been journaling for decades, but mom's journals are not like mine. Mom's journals, journals are one page, what she did yesterday, pretty much task-oriented. Mm. What the weather was like, what she did yesterday, you know, what happened yesterday, but not a lot of feeling. Yeah. My journal entries are every week, two weeks apart, and they're seven pages long, and there's a lot of feeling in mine, you know. You're going to know exactly what my, I was feeling in that <laughs> time of entry, um, so they are very locked into their routine. They don't like it interrupted, but they are really good at getting things done. If they know what they've got to do, how to get there, they're very trustworthy, dependable people yeah. that live into the day in and day out of whatever their job is or on the home front. Um, mom would go grocery shopping every Thursday night. Every Saturday, I was the only girl out of three boys, you know, four siblings, and Mom and I, every Saturday, we cleaned the house, sometimes did yard work, in the summer would go out and do garden work. We had that Saturday routine. It never changed. Mm. So I grew up in a very daily home. Yeah. So that's the daily rhythm. They love to-do lists. They love to check off their to-do list and know at the end of the day they got all that accomplished. Yeah. 
The second category is what we call the weekly monthly person. And the weekly monthly person is my husband. So that whole chapter is on Dennis. <laughs> weekly monthly people are anchored to the goals that they have for themselves, projects. They get really geeked out about calendars. Mm. They love to mark their calendars. They Dennis has different color tape for his calendars, you know, different color markers for his calendars, gets it all marked in. Um, it used to be with all his traveling, he'd say, honey, we need to look at the calendar. And I just sigh like, oh, brother, not again. <laughs> and so um, we'd sit across the table from each other with our ca computers open back to back and oh my word, three or four months in, because we just kind of look six months out, I am like sighing all over the place and he knows I'm getting irritated. I just like can't do the calendar thing. We're kind of learning how to deal with that. <laughs> but um, yeah, they get really geeked out about scheduling and um, they love when a plan comes together. Mm. So unlike the daily person who loves that uh, to-do list and check off every day with the tasks they do, the Daily quota isn't as near important to the weekly, monthly person as it is to a daily person. They are just working towards a goal getting done or a project getting done. And just so they're moving forward in that over the weeks and months, that's very satisfying to them. Mm -hmm. The details and, the, and routine would totally bog a, a weekly, monthly person down. Yeah. Like having to just do the same thing day in and day out or every Monday I do this. So not every day in the week will look the same for them. It just depends on what they're working on and how that moves them forward. Dennis has been having a day alone with God once a month for since our 20s. Mm. That one day and once a month is what really feeds his soul. Mm. Now he might listen to scripture as he's heading up to the office on, you know, over on his phone, but um, it's the daily or the day alone with God once a month that really um, impacts his spiritual life. So uh, the third life rhythm is seasonal yearly. Uh, that's me. So I describe myself in that chapter. Seasonal yearly people anchor themselves in just processing life. Mm. It sounds kind of simple, simple, but it's they just love to live life. Mm -hmm. And what's God doing in my life in this season right now? And what do I need to do to feed into that, whatever, if it's a difficult time or a great time, but what do I need to do to feed into that, what God's doing in my life right now? So, you know, for me, it might be finding a book that really relates to what God's doing in my life right now. Um, I remember going through a really dark night of the soul, I call it. I write about it in that chapter and I picked up this book called Devotional Classics, and they had a chapter in there on John of the Cross yep. and his book, The Dark Knight of the Soul, which is very um, difficult to read in the like, original antiquated chat, uh, language he used. But they've kind of made it more readable for modern age. But, wow, could I relate with what he was talking about. And I share about that in the chapter. I think it's very insightful, especially for those of us who have tried to make spiritual practices and things such a high mark in our lives. Uh, he talks about maybe we should give up our devo devotional life altogether if we've made it 
to be an idol. Mm. And that's what I think I had been trying to do almost with trying to measure up to this uh, thing called daily devotions. But the seasonal person loves to process life. Um, It's kind of plan, what plan, which is weekly, (laughs) monthly, definitely have a plan. Yep. Obviously, we have to plan, but sometimes people look at us. Maybe we're, we seem lazy or undisciplined, but we're really not. When we have something to do, we can kind of create a rallying cry for three months, and we're really going to be productive. So we mm-hmm. tend to go on this sort of a bit of a roller coaster of high productivity and maybe two or three months of low productivity, and that can be true in our spiritual life as well. Yeah. So we kind of feel like, hey, we're doing great, and then we kind of go in a low time and you know, but know that there's going to be another great time coming along spiritually. And even in the low times, God is near and, you know, he's with us. So, Can yeah. you kind of talk about um, your personal devotional life and like what you do to nourish your own soul as a seasonal person? Yeah, I can. I tend to uh, think in themes. For instance, I spent six months in the book of James. Um, not a big book, but just... This was when I started writing the book Mm. and got, and I was reading those faith in action verses and I'm like, okay, I I got faith, but am I acting on what I know God wants me to do? Yeah. You have to have both. It's not either or, or it's kind of nothing. So Mm. I was like, okay, God, I need to act. I need to start writing a book that I think you're really prompting me to do. Mm. But I spent six months in the book of James. I love William Barclay's commentaries. They were written for the practical people and not so high, you know, in language. And I love to read his commentaries alongside of my scripture reading just because it just takes me deeper and makes it really practical. That's really um, helpful to me. This year I've been memorizing Psalm 91, and I was going to make it a three-month thing, and it's becoming the whole year. <laughs> that sounds like a seasonal person. Like, okay, January, February, March, I'm going to memorize Psalm 91, and then we'll move on to what's next. And I'm like, here we are, October, still working on Psalm 91, and slow bit, steady. I'm going to get to it, finish it out by the end of the year. Yeah. But what I've been doing with that as well is I have a, a little sketchbook and um, I'm taking two to three verses and drawing a picture that goes with that verse, writing that verse somewhere in the art. That's the other thing. Seasonal people can tend to have a creative side and kind of an artsy side. They like to like incorporate that into their time with God. It's fulfilling. So I've been creating uh, pictures that go with, you know, some a set of verses. Yeah. So that also obviously takes me more time to get through the book as well. But it's been really great to visualize something with the passage. Yeah. And it, I'm not an artist, but it's just, you know, you can be simple, but or even just do design type things. Mm-hmm. So I'm work. That's what I'm doing right now. Psalm 91. Um, I tend to spend more time in a passage. Mm. I remember I went through a difficult time in Budapest, um, actually discovered that I was in depression while we were there. And um, Isaiah 40 Mm. was so meaningful to me. And I probably spent a year and a half just what God, what do you have to say to me through this, these passages? I know it sounds like a long time, but that's kind of where for a seasonal person, 
longer times of delving into something and really pulling out of it all that God has for you. Mm. That might not be for every seasonal person, but it seems to work for me. I tend to try to get up in the morning and some point in my day, you know, as I'm driving out of the driveway or something, say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit for this day. Mm. What would love have me do today? Mm. Help me to be aware of your Spirit's leading. Yeah. And I, I kind of pray on the go, you know, yeah. more than have this set time. Daily people sort of have a, a set time of day. They might sit in a certain living room chair every time or at the table. You know, they sort of have more of a set. They're routine people. Mm. Routine is what gives them their effectiveness and motivation. Seasonal people are kind of the opposite of that. You know, oh, well, I'm out mowing the grass, and oh, God just brought someone to mind that I really need to pray for, so I'm mowing the grass, I'm lifting up someone to the Lord, you know. So it's sort of that kind of a faith walk for the seasonal person, where the weekly, monthly person will definitely have some kind of goals in mind for their spiritual life and be working towards that and putting whatever that is, resources, the word, whatever that is, that feeds into whatever those goals are that they have for themselves. Mm. So that's the three rhythms. I end, I end that section of my book. My book is in four parts mm. with uh, life rhythms in action. And I actually surveyed 10 people who had been under my teaching. And they each gave me feedback about how discovering their life rhythm has impacted their life. So mm. it's short and sweet, but it gives people a, another uh, image and uh, example of how life rhythm is impacting people's lives spiritually and in, in their work world as well. Oh, I love that. Um, what are you kind of hoping people will glean from the book, kind of take away from the book? I think the main takeaway is going to be life rhythms, um, discovering that and finding freedom. Yeah. Really, the two words I hear from people is, oh, this is so liberating and same word, freedom, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I found that couples really have found it beneficial in their marriage because yeah. when I taught it and I split people up into the three life rhythms you know are you daily are you in this group are you in this group and I'll have a husband sing over here in seasonal and he's looking at his wife over here in daily and go that's why I feel guilty because every morning she goes into her little prayer closet you know yeah. and I'm I feel really guilty and she's thinking he's not that spiritual mm. because he's not having his daily devotions. Yeah. And it just is a great um, awareness of if you're different in that rhythm and you're as a couple, it gives you a new understanding of your spouse mm. and a new understanding for others too. Um, we don't all fit into the daily devotion box and that's okay. There's too many people who have lived in bondage guilt, defeat over their spiritual life because we've made daily devotions such a mark that this is a mark of mature Christianity. I'm sorry, but it's not. Yeah. I think more of the mark of Christianity is our love, mm. the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. If we're going to mark our Christian maturity, let's look at those characteristics not how are we doing with our daily devotions. Oh, I love that so much. And I think you're right, at least in my life, um, it's been so 
helpful to know that my husband is a daily person and I'm more of a seasonal person to to be able to allow him to meet God in the ways that he does when he does and for him to let that happen in in my life has been so helpful to give each other more grace and compassion yes and recognize a spiritual life um for what it is and not necessarily what we think that it should be that's right my first chapter is called i think it's called ought and should not should and mm. ought and should um you know the things that we think we ought to do or should do in our christianity and um yeah, so the, poor first, the first part is barriers to intimacy with God, where I do talk about the spiritual angst I struggled with for so long. Mm-hmm. Then we go into the discovery part two is uh, the discoveries I made. And, one of, and the, the last one is life rhythms. But I also talk, um, I have a chapter called Just Live, mm-hmm. which was a real something that God said to me one day when I said, God, I don't know what to do about this daily devotional thing. And the words that came to my mind were, just live when, just live. Mm. So I write a whole chapter on that and what that has meant for me. And then Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, obviously, most of us know, come on to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm. The book is kind of sandwiched in that passage. And so I zero in on what actually does the yoke mean in that chapter, Mm. which was very life-giving to me. And so there's more than just life rhythms. But um, so I hope people go away with a new understanding of what Jesus's yoke might be, and then what it means to just live when sometimes we get caught up with so many oughts and shoulds. Yeah. When God says, just live. And there's a verse in Galatians that says, just live for God. Mm. And it was like, well, it's right here in your word, Father. And so, and then I uh, delve into the life rhythms in part three. And then part four is why do we do what we do when it comes to spiritual practices and have a better understanding of spirit, what spiritual formation is all about. So that's kind of the arc of the book. Um, but I'm really excited about it. Oh, man, I love it so much. Um, okay, so tell us about um, where people can get the book, how they can find you. Well, um, I love if people go to my website, which is www.unforcedrhythmsbook.com, and uh, you can order it right on my website. And as soon as I get those books, I'm going to ship them out. You can also get it from Wesleyan Publishing House online bookstore. Um, also you can get it off Amazon and Christian book distributors are also, um, got it out. Um, but I'm trying to personally sell some books. So I'd love for people to go to my, to the website and I have different pages on there. I'm writing a blog mm-hmm. every week, throwing something out on the blog. Um, there's also on there under the menu book, if you click on just life rhythm book, you'll get to the order process. And then underneath that is life rhythm assessment. I've created an assessment that people can take and that's free download that you can pass out or use to take the um, assessment. And it kind of helps you to probably understand more which rhythm you actually lean into most. Mm. Um, I failed to say too that, um, and I just put this on the website, there are, personal reflection questions at the end of each chapter. Mm. I've made them as simple and uncomplicated as possible because sometimes I get these book studies that have 
it's just crazy amounts of work and, and yeah. as a seasonal person I don't want to. <laughs> so there's also group interaction questions at the back of the book that will just enhance engaging conversation in a group and discussion so that's all all part of the book as well and I think it would be a great book for a small group to go through together or a Sunday school class um, we're hoping our college group can go through it next semester I'm really looking forward to that but Thank you. Thank you so much for the book, for the opportunity to hear from you, to get this message out to a wider audience. I think it's really, really important. I appreciate your work on that. Uh, Well, I thank you guys for being on my team and so supportive and so encouraging. And I can remember when we did that conference in in Turkey, um, the Nazarene, people were pretty excited about it. So it's great to... to, um, be on this podcast and have the privilege to share. We'll we'll just adopt you as an honorary member Yay! of our tribe. <laughs> well, thanks so much it. for taking time out of your day. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Brett. Really appreciate it. <laughs>